Great. So if the the baskets go round, we're going to do something this morning a little bit different anyway, just to start. So um, feel free just to give as the guys give the baskets. I'm going to ask him. Um, back in the summer, we did some short interviews, and um, we, we'll do these sporadically again, but also in context of what God's doing amongst us. So I'm going to ask Paul to come. Um, another Paul to the front. Um, give Paul a round of applause, can you? Because it's not easy to do this kind of thing. Um, but... Um, I've just been really encouraged by some of the things God's doing amongst the body at the moment, and I could share a number of stories, um, and maybe we will over the next couple of weeks, but uh, it's just been amazing to watch what God's been doing in Paul's life. Um, so Paul, could you tell us that in a couple of minutes? Tell us who you are too, just in case anybody doesn't know you. Well, my name's Paul. I think we've established that okay, but uh, <clears throat> I'm Karen's long-suffering husband. <laughs> Uh, we're married now 21 years, and we've been, we got saved uh, 19 years ago, uh, and we went to church, it was not long after we moved to Portadown, we went to church in Edenderry Presbyterian, and then New Mills Presbyterian, and then we're invited to uh, Lurgan, Emmanuel, I called it a pub quiz, it's just from my background, but it wasn't, <laughs> it was a table quiz, honestly, and uh, Karen got talking to Caroline, I don't know Caroline's surname, I know you as Caroline Sadaxo. So, because that's where she used to work, and uh, Caroline uh, had said to Karen that they were starting up a Manuel and Portadown, and we thought, can we come along? So, Karen and Caroline had had got together with the dates that it was starting, and we have been here from from the start last November. And just as time has gone on, I I've been sort of feeling, you know, I need to be doing something more. Now we would have been involved a lot with youth work. Uh, in New Mills especially and different things but that wasn't what it was and um, a few weeks ago uh, this had been going on for quite some time but a few weeks ago Chris Hanna had asked me to go to uh, uh, just to Jason's house Jason Gordon and it was about six o'clock in the morning you texted me or a quarter to six or something like that and he says you know will you come tonight oh, okay <laughs> I'm going to work now but just text me the address and I'll be there tonight so I went along it's just three of us that night wasn't there Chris and uh, I've been we've been talking just over things and I just said I wanted something more and what happened was Jason had said to me try not to come up with it yourself just think about it pray about it but don't come up with an idea yourself just let something happen so over the next day or two I had this overwhelming desire to be in the presence of God I didn't even understand what that meant I didn't really understand why I was having those feelings, but that's what my overwhelming desire was, just to be in the presence of God. So I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know what to do. And unfortunately, Alan was a bit slow. <laughs> he was doing the practice series. He should have been a few weeks ahead. I might, I might have found out. But I had to do the legwork myself. And I, so and to cut a long story short, I had researched it, and I had thought, right, okay, I'm going to give this a go. And I had found out that you couldn't be in a state of sin, because sin had already been dealt with. You couldn't be in a state of self. You couldn't be thinking, how am I going to do this? Because God comes to us. You have to let pride go. And we couldn't be in a state of Satan, because we can't be obsessed about things that are going on, because in front of uh, Jesus, every knee shall bow, including Satan. So that had to go. And it was just being there, quietly being, and believing and having the faith that God was already with me. And this wasn't something that I'd ever done in my life. I'd been saved for 19 years and I'd never done this. And I didn't know why I was doing it, but I really wanted to do it. And God was with me. 
And it, it, it was a, when I say it was a physical experience, I knew that God's presence was with me. And I didn't know why. I, it was just beautiful. It was wonderful elation and there were tears, but tears of joy. It was, I couldn't stop smiling. And it, it was just a wonderful experience. And I thought, this is great. <laughs> this is brilliant. So I thought, why haven't I been doing this for years? And then what happened was a few days later, I, I was doing this again. And God was saying, no, Paul, this isn't time for you. You know, yes, I'm with you, but let it go. And I kept drawing God back. And he was there, but he was saying, no, so I let, let it go. And then I went to make, make a cup of coffee, and then God started telling me a message for someone. And I had to write the sentences down. And th this has happened now numerous times. And I've went to the people, and, and I, well, I've researched it first, and I've went to the Bible, and I've, I've went over the theology of it, and I've tried to write it down, help people. I went to several people. And uh, the messages that I've had haven't necessarily meant an awful lot to me, but they've meant an awful lot to the other people. So what I'm trying to say is that I opened myself up to God mm -hmm. to be in his presence. And anyone who thinks that they're not worthy, believe me, you know, just very, very briefly, Karen and myself weren't even going to church when we got saved. We were just ordinary people and just going through an ordinary life and what had a baby. You know, William's grown up now, but Karen was holding William and she wanted to have the answer to the question, what happens if we die? You know, we, do we need to make a will? We've bought a house. Who's going to get the house? Guardians, all the rest of it. And Karen asked me, what happens if we die? And I started telling her what happens if you die, you know, through the scriptures, heaven, hell, Jesus died on the cross, all the rest of it. Karen hadn't never went really to church. She'd been maybe at the odd meeting when she was a child, but had never went to church. And God saved both of us independently that night. And we didn't know until the next morning that both of us had got saved. So if God can take us, who weren't even going to church, and answer the question that we weren't even asking, Believe me, you know, j just be in the presence of God. And anyone who thinks that they can't do it, I mean, you have to be in the right frame of mind and you have to be doing it with the right heart. Uh, but what it will do, what it has done for me is opened up that gift of the Spirit. Um, and it, it has been a, a wonderful, ex exhausting experience, but it has been wonderful. Brilliant. Well done. Give me a round of applause. Brilliant. <clears throat> Thank, thank you, Paul. Thank you. The reason I want Paul to share that and um, was, it's, well, for a couple of reasons, because like we're a body and we're a family, and God's working in every part of the family and in the body, and it's good that we hear from different parts of the body, but also because this is what happens when the presence of God breaks into our life, and when he takes over, in a sense, and we allow him to come into those deepest parts of our being and shape and change us into the people that he's calling us to be. So um, so be encouraged. And it also is a, is a bit of um, a personal testimony of where I really want to go this morning. So will you go there with me? We're going to um, continue on uh, this morning on our theme of uh, Unveil Faces. I've been really moved by this theme in my preparation for it, and particularly for message this morning. It feels like the Spirit is uh, putting, I think, in this theme that we're on, it feels like he's putting out uh, little seeds for us to follow, uh, like a trail that he's taking us somewhere. Um, I feel... Um, 
I suppose quite childish, childlike, maybe a better way to put it, childlike in my pursuit of where I think God's taken us, a kind of treasure hunt where what we're being led to is something of great, great worth. And I really feel like we're journeying into something together, which I can't quite put my finger on, on, but the anticipation in my spirit for it is that he's calling us, a bit like Paul has testified in his own life, to experience and taste something new of the goodness of God. And what um, Chris and Debbie have kind of just orientated us around as we went into worship this morning, I think has been part of that, getting our eyes on the goodness of God and allowing us to taste something new of his presence. Over the last few weeks and months, it's felt like just since September, God has been wetting our appetite through some of the things that he's been laying on our hearts. Chris has outlaid some of the um, teaching around the holiness of God and what happens in those revival moments when the Spirit is poured out. And I've tried to share a few Bible stories over the last few weeks that have helped us focus on our understanding of the face of God. If we're looking at this theme of unveiled faces, we want to approach the face of God. That Throughout the Bible, the, uh, the face of God is the substance of heaven, the favor and smile of God, the peace and wholeness for flourishing and for witness in the world. And so there's something about not just God as a theory, as a doctrine, but God wants a deeply personal relationship with him, where even way back all those thousands of years ago in the Old Testament, people knew that there was something about the favor that flowed from the face of God that made them distinct. And when we talk about God's presence, the same word for presence in the Hebrew is the word face and uh, I've just been trying to bring you into alignment with that and help you understand that. And so I suppose what we really want to um, focus on or what we really want to try and um, help you understand and not just understand but experience and encounter is that when we see God's face, we're pretty much ruined to look at anything else. Um, his kindness leads us to repentance and brings us into deep revelation of his love. I, I love this from E. Uh, Stanley Jones, is this working? Next one. Yeah, I looked into his face and was forever spoiled for anything that was unlike him. I love that. I looked into his face and was forever spoiled for anything that was unlike him. We've looked at that great passage in Exodus 33 where Moses was contending for the face of God. And then we also looked at that passage a few weeks ago uh, where Mephibosheth would settle for nothing less than the, the king. And all of these things, part of my introduction just this morning, all of these things are preparation, I think, to bring us into a new level of focus as a people, a new level of single-mindedness, a clarity of intentionality that we'll settle for nothing less, that the one thing that we desire would be the face of God, to develop as a people a one-mindedness about one thing, right? A one-mindedness, a corporate kind of one-mindedness about one thing. And that one thing is, is Jesus. He is the vision. We're, we're not here just for a good idea. We don't really want to just play a church. We want to seek his face because we know that changes something in us and it changes something in the atmosphere all around us. And I just sense that the Lord wants to push us further on this. Uh, um, sometimes when you sit down to prepare a message, you, you want to speak about something kind of newer. <laughs> you want to like move on from what you spoke last week and you want to develop. And I've just felt the Holy Spirit say, you know, I just kind of want you to stay on this. And even though it feels maybe slightly repetitive, I hope there's fresh revelation in that because I just think there's something new for us that we dare not miss. And so hopefully we're all we're all up for that together. Um, and, and what I want to want to teach on, um, where I want to go with this this morning is help us take into account 
something that I haven't really taken into account with as much weight before is that when an individual or a people have an encounter of the Lord, like a true revelation, something taste, something new of who God is, because God is unlimited. We can't, we can't define him. We can't control him. We can't say we know everything all of a sudden, right? There's always something new of God to learn. And when a people or an individual pushes and presses into that, there seems to be a biblical principle that as God reveals something afresh, that doesn't just change the individual, but it sets something in motion for a whole generation, potentially even nation, to be changed and transformed, right? Part of the revelation that comes from God, from somebody who's willing to contend for his face, results in a revelation that can change a nation. And even as Paul has just in a very individual way talked about opening himself up to say, God, I want something more. I'm not satisfied with just going to church every Sunday. I want to taste something of your presence. As God has met him and changed something in him, all of a sudden, God started to speak to him for other people. Revelation of God's presence leads to witness of his goodness in other people's lives. And that's what we want to be. We want to be a people as we witness and taste something new of God, that it becomes a witness because His very presence overflows out of us, our, our lives and changes things around us. And you might say, but Alan, sometimes the pushback to this kind of teaching is, uh, do we not already know everything we need to know of God? And it's in, it's in, it's in the Bible. Do we not just get on, to, get on with it? And, and, and there's some people that probably do need to hear, yes, stop talking about all that God's going to do and just get on with being, being like Jesus. But there is a constant reminder throughout the Bible that we can't do this in our own strength. There is a constant reminder that we need to taste something new of God, that we can't just settle for yesterday's manna, as the children of Israel realized. We have to allow His presence daily to change us, transform us, make us more like Him, allow the weight of His presence to increase on our lives. And, um, and as we do that, it would increase our effectiveness in the world around us. And so there's a clear thread through the Bible. There's a clear thread that he's calling us to pursue more of his presence, not because God's needy, but because God wants to be known in the same way as he knows us. Okay? Let me say that again, because I think we don't really get this sometimes as believers, right? God, or, or, or anybody that's here this morning, God wants to be known in the same way He knows us. He wants to be loved in the same way that He loves us. He wants us to enter in and not to be forced to or manipulated to, but He wants us to choose to love Him in that way, which is a really deep knowing, a really intimate knowing that will take us a lifetime to experience and to grow in because God's love is boundless. But as we go on that trail, as God takes us down that bunny trail, if you like, as he puts those seeds out, as we taste of him, we're satisfied, more satisfied than anything in the world can ever satisfy us, and yet we're also left hungry for more. Because there's nothing like it. Once you see his face, you're kind of ruined for anything else. Once you get past all the wrong stereotypes, once you break down all the wrong mindsets of who God is, and you get a glimpse of the beauty, the source of all goodness and beauty shining out of God's face, once you just taste something of that, you're, you're ruined for everything else. And that's why people that get away from Jesus are some of the most miserable people internally on the planet. Because they've tasted, and now they don't anymore. And somehow the second kind of loves have, have, have formed something, but they know that it's not the real thing. That's why backslidden is such an awful state to be in, because you once tasted. And, uh, and some of us think we're backslidden, but the reality is we've actually never tasted. You've prayed a prayer, and I'm not saying it wasn't genuine, but you've never tasted. And God wants you to taste 
God wants you to taste and see that he is good. He wants it to become part of your being. And that's why our sort of signature verse is that we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory of being transformed into the image of into his image with ever increasing glory or from glory to glory. We're being changed and transformed into ever increasing levels of glory that we can taste him daily and enter into those new encounters and new revelations. So for example, there is a reason why Peter, James, and John who hung out with Jesus every day, there was a reason why they were taken up a mountain one day. Right? Because Jesus wanted them to see him in a new way. They'd seen Jesus do the miracles. They'd seen Jesus do the, the feeding of the 5,000. I'm not sure chronologically where this came, but they'd seen Jesus do a lot, okay? They, they were coming to know him as the Son of God. But Jesus took them up a mountain one day. Even though they'd still been with him every day, Jesus took them up a mountain <laughs> because they needed to see God and be changed and transformed by him. And these are the same men then, that whatever it is, weeks, months later, after Jesus goes back to heaven and they're filled by the Spirit, these are the same men who had went up that mountain and encountered the Lord when they're walking down a road one day and there's a lame man which says, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. What? We don't have silver. We don't have gold. We're not wealthy. We're not intellectually cleverer than you. We're not any of those kind of things. But what we have, what we have, we give. We can give that to you. What did they have? What did they have? They had, they had the presence of God. They had an encounter of the Spirit. It's a bit like what Paul's saying. All I can give you is what I have. Because God gives us something of his presence that can be given away. If it's in there, it will and it should come out. Sometimes the reasons why it doesn't come out is because it's not in there. It's been far too long since we tasted of the goodness of God. But he wants us to taste of him. Because it means something. It means that lame people get straightened up and go on their way rejoicing and praising God. What we have, we give away. Chris has been telling me that there's been a couple of stories over the last month or so, one including himself, where, you know, we got to bring a couple of people uh, home or help a couple of people practically. And uh, as we, you know, appropriately helped and brought them home, their statement has been to us. This has been their statement. What is that presence in my home? What is that presence around you? What we have we don't have silver and gold. We're not any better than anybody else. You know, we're not any better than anybody out there in and of ourselves. All we have is Jesus. All we have is his presence. And what we have, we give. Now walk. What we have, we give. Now sense the hope of God into that hopeless situation. And what we have, we, we give. Now feel the love that will shatter all that loneliness that you're feeling. What we have, we, we give. Now receive the power that will settle and the peace that will settle that mental torment you're going through. What we have, we give because it comes from an encounter of the Lord. And so my sense is what the Lord's doing is I kind of try and follow these trails that the Holy Spirit, I think, is, is laying for us through some of these individual stories and also from just our sense of leading from the Lord that the Lord wants us to understand His glory more. He wants us to understand 
what it means not just to be changed by him forever as individuals, but how that will change our community. It will not be our good ideas. Our superhero party over in Oregon on Wednesday night, there'll be, if, if it goes the way it has been, it'll be, what, it could be 1,500, 2,000 people. It'll be hundreds and hundreds of people in from our community. It'll be amazing, right? And there'll be fireworks to be all, but it's not just a good idea. It's not the fireworks that are going to change everyone, right? It's like we can be impressive and we can serve and bless her, but it's, it's us as the temples of God today, human beings made in God's image, who he wants to fill with his glory, who he wants to carry the weight of his presence, who he wants to reflect his goodness through. It will be that that will bring the change in the atmosphere around us. And I feel, and I want us to, I want to really kind of like ask you to come with me in this. I feel the Lord has started to show us the first fruits of what he wants to do amongst the masses. I think, you know, some of these stories that we're hearing are just the first fruits, right, of something that God's going to do as he pours out his spirit. So I want to take 15 minutes or so here this morning and talk a little bit about the glory of God because sometimes that's a bit like, what do we mean? We have all sorts of things. If you're brought up in Pentecostal circles or um, if you, you know, watch the films, you know, we talk about the glory, the glory of the Lord, you know, and we're not really sure what it means, but if you say glory like that, it sort of sounds spiritual, right? But I'm going to try and kind of demystify all that a wee bit and bring it right down, right? What, is the, what do we mean when we talk about the glory of the Lord? Because it's a beautiful thing. And I've been moved by this in preparation for this morning. Um, the glory of God is one of a number of different attributes of God in the Bible. Uh, it's talked about particularly in the Old Testament and, and the New Testament, but throughout the Scriptures from the start, there are certain attributes that that help define who God is. They're kind of not the whole picture because God can't be boxed, but there are certain attributes of God that represent him, and they're so kind of close to who God is that they're almost um, articulated to us through the Scriptures as personifications, right? So the lady wisdom and the Word of God um, and the name of God, which we sung about today, these are things that God talks about that they're not fully God. They're kind of distinct from Yahweh or from God, but they kind of are God. So God's word and God's wisdom and God's name and God's glory is one of them. And the Hebrew word in the Bible for the word glory is the word kavod or kabod. And it's a, it's a word that kind of develops through the Bible. At, at its root, kind of very practical, physical kind of Human level, it means weight or heavy. There's kind of somebody who's very heavy in the book of Judges. He's just, there's no other way to say it in that the Bible seems to tell us he's just a, a big fat man, right? In the book of Judges who somebody loses their dagger in his belly, right? Bible's interesting. You can read it sometime yourself, right? But basically the word that's used to describe him is kabod. He was kabod. He was a, he was a big lad, right? He was heavy. But that word starts to develop through the Bible, okay? It, it, uh, it starts to mean maybe more metaphorically of the weight that somebody carries into in their, in their personhood, in their life. So they carry a, a weight or a significance. There's a, there's a weightiness to who they are in terms of their reputation and the honor that they're worth. And so it's not unlike the way we would say even um, something like... Uh, 
I don't really think that person just understands the weight of this conversation or the gravity of this situation. You know the way we'd use that? We just don't understand the weight of this going on at the moment. It's that kind of a thing. And so it's, it's referred to people's reputation. Somebody of great weight or great kavod is somebody of a weighty significance and influence with their life. And so it's used then even further in Psalm 8. You've made them with a little... You have made them, talking about us, the psalmist saying, you've made humanity a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You've crowned them with kavod. You've put great significance. When I look at the sun and the moon and the stars and all that you've made, yet you've shared your glory and you've put weight and honor and significance upon humanity in order to make them rulers over the work of your hands, right? So it gets more and more um, significant, this word. And then it's used for God's glory. When God shows up, and, and here Kavod, when it talks about the glory of God, it's talking about this, the physical manifestations of the significance of who God is, right? Um, this, let me say that again. The physical manifestations of God's significance when He shows up. It starts to give us a window into the weightiness of the character of God. Now, it's not all of who God is, but if, if there's things that, like, you know, might be connected to who I am that increase the weight of who I am, like, but, like, they're not, like, anything in comparison to God. So, like, I can't think now. Like, I, he, he's a leader of a church, or he, uh, he used to play football. For, you know, people might describe some of the characteristics of what I did to help bring the kind of weightiness of the significance of who I am, my reputation, to unpack that for somebody. But with God, it's like lightnings and earthquakes and clouds and fire coming down in mountains. It's pretty like another level, let's just say, right? And so we see the first one of these in Exodus chapter 24. Now, get, get a hold of this. This is after God has given them the Ten Commandments. Moses and Aaron and those two boys, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. And under his feet was something like a pavement made of, how do you say that? Lapis Luzel, sorry. Anyway, you know, it's, it's bright as blue as the sky, whatever it is, right? It's beautiful. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. And you know what that means, but it sounds pretty spectacular, right? But they were, there was a bright, bright blue sky and a pavement like a platform, right, with a, with a, which was a physical manifestation of the glory of God. This is the weightiness of who God is. And so throughout the Old Testament, there's amazing, mind-blowing things that happen when God shows up. They saw physical attributes, manifestations of God's glory and power, and often they're revealed in a cloud. There's usually a cloud involved, right? So you maybe hear people talk about a, a glory cloud and all that kind of things. And these are attributes of God's glory that describe the weight of who He is. And they help us realize when these things happen, God is close. He's really close. But they're pointing to something. This is really key, right? So when these incredible things happen, they're pointing to something. They're not the complete picture of who God is, but they are a great sign that the presence of God and the character and nature, the very person of God, is really close. So, are you still with me? Promise? Can't lie in church, right? <laughs> Let's continue, right? 
So this is Exodus 24. Now, when we go to Exodus 33, right, what has happened here? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but let me just recap if you weren't here really quick. And what has happened is after God has had these incredible encounters with the people in Exodus 34, 24, and in other places in the 20s in Exodus, basically God makes covenant with the people. There's blood sprinkled on the bowls and on, on, the, on the, the Ten Commandments, the two tablets. And Moses then goes up with God for 40 days. During those 40 days, the people rebel. Right? So God has basically married himself to the people, and when he's up the mountain for 40 days, they rebel. It's like, com- it's like committing adultery on your honeymoon. That's what it's like, right? They've, they've committed adultery on their honeymoon. They are, and God's heart is broken in two, right? Because he's loved them, and he's delivered them from Egypt and all of that. And, God, and, and, and the story goes on that Moses is like, God, remember your covenant. I know you want it because God threatens to wipe these people out. And Moses is like, God, you can't do this. This is Abraham and Isaac. Remember what you said to our fathers. These are your people, God. Don't wipe them out. And, and take me instead of them. You see a man who's willing to fuse his heart with God so much that he takes on the very character of God. And in these moments, God's heart is undone. God invites Moses into his anger and pain. And in doing that, Moses takes on God's character himself. And God says, okay, I will go with you. My presence, my face will go with you. And Moses says, no deal, God. We're not actually even moving from this next step. We'll not take one more step unless it is your presence that goes with us. Because that's what makes us distinct in the earth. And Moses intercedes. And God's heart is undone. Completely undone in these moments. Because it's Son has fused his heart so much with God's heart that he's got the essence of what this story is all about, that God wants to be at one with humanity. And it's like to me, all of heaven is silent at this point, and they're going, whoa, <laughs> Moses has like, totally got God here. <laughs> his heart is so engaged. And then Moses kind of goes a step further, and he says this, show me your glory. Let's read what happens. Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence, and I will have mercy in whom I have mercy, and compassion in whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see it and live. Right? So no one can see the fullness of all that God is, and it's the fullness of the glory and live. But then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock where my glory passes by. I'll put you in the cleft in a rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I'll write on them the words that that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and come on the Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere in the mountain. Not even the flocks and the herds may graze in front of them. That's a holy, holy moment. So Moses chiseled out the two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud. And he stood there with him and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. 
intense moments that Moses is having with God. But it's really interesting. This, this is something I felt the Lord show me even just as I prepared. Moses has already seen the physical manifestations of the glory of God. He's already seen that thing that we just described, that, that, that uh, platform, that pavement that's shining bright. He's already seen God come down on a mountain full of fire. He's already seen God do these great acts that describe and point to his glory. And yet he still says, show me your glory. He knows there's more. He doesn't just want the signs of God's glory. He wants God himself. And as he contends to see God's glory, God says, okay, I'm going to give you a glimpse here, son. And this is what it looks like. It looks like a, the goodness of God. It looks like a God who is steadfast in love, abounding in love. It looks like a God who is slow to anger, who's patient and kind and gracious. That's what the glory of God looks like if you really want it to. It looks like the very nature of who God is. It looks like a God who will deal with evil. It looks like a just God. He gets to go closer and closer. And God is showing Moses that the weightiness of his presence is his goodness, is his compassion, is his abounding in love, is his steadfastness, is God's covenant faithfulness. But what I really want you to get here is not only is Moses changed and transformed for this, transformed by this, but this stunning manifestation of the revelation of God's exquisite nature changes him, gives us a revelation of who God is that will affect many more people than just him. Because we have it in our Bibles of who God is. Because we don't know, we, we know he's something like this from what the story tells us so far. Genesis up to the middle of Exodus. But now we all know who God is because a man, a flawed broken man like you and me went right in to the very depths of who God is and has an encounter of his presence that not only changes him but gives the world a revelation of who God is. I think it's just incredible. Moses' pursuit of God's presence leads to a stunning manifest revelation of God's exquisite and multifaceted character. And so the application for this for us this morning is when we have a sense of God's presence, go even further. When you see things happen and you become aware, maybe the warmth of his presence, maybe other physical manifestations, go even further. Don't stop at the signs. Go for his nature. Go for his character. Because that's what he wants to reveal. He wants you to taste of his goodness. So we don't need to have these arguments that people have over social media about, was that a glory cloud or is that not? A, you know, we need to go beyond all of that and go, even if it was, what we really want, what we really want is the taste of you, God. We really want to get your character because it's that that you want to share with us. It's that that you want to change and transform us by. And throughout the Bible, this I'm going to do this really quick, okay? So stick with me and I might reinforce it a wee bit next week, but I just want to get to this before we take communion. Throughout the, Old, throughout the Old Testament, the idea of God's glory develops, right? We've seen a bit of it here. That's, this is only Exodus, though, right? It develops. We see glimpses of his glory in incredible ways. And as these pictures develop, like, I want you to try, try and get this, right? 
what we start to see is within these signs of God's glory is the shape of a man starts to develop. So I didn't know Debbie was going to do this, and she didn't know I was going to preach at this, but she started off reading Isaiah chapter 6, right? Isaiah chapter 6 is a picture of the glory of God. There's, and it's usually a person in the, in the midst somewhere fused with fire, okay? And so what we start to see when we get to Isaiah chapter 6, he sees the Lord high and lifted up, and we start to see angelic beings, fire, crazy kind of stuff going on. But in the midst of it, we see something like an exalted king in the midst of it. That's what we're drawn to. I'm not going to read the passage. Debbie read it earlier. But they start to call out the glory of the Lord. All of the angelic beings all around, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. Just at the end, the whole earth is full of his glory. We could read another passage in Ezekiel chapter 1, which I'm not going to take time to do either, right? But in Ezekiel chapter 1, he has a vision of the Lord. And as he has a vision of the Lord, it's, there's like, it's like weird, but it's amazing weird. It's like wheels within wheels and the spirits moving and God's at work and everything's going on. But in the midst of it, there's a, in the midst of it, there's a person, right? There's a person. Just let me read this last bit from Ezekiel's vision. From the sort of second sentence down, I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the, peer, the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. Look, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And when I saw it, I fell, fell down. And I heard the voice of one speaking, right? This was a, an appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. This is another kind of glimpse of the glory of God. And within it, again, there's a man. There's a shape of a person, right? Angelic beings, fire, all sorts of activity, crazy, incredible stuff, beauty, rainbows, all, all, all this kind of imagery. And yet in the midst of it, there's a man, something like a human-like king. And then this all goes to a new level in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospel of John, because he starts to talk about a king being lifted up, a son of man, a son of God who would be lifted up. And he, he knows what he's doing, John, because he would have known these scriptures, and he knows that the glory of God, there's a king that's lifted up. And then Jesus comes on the earth who John's talking about. And in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to the Father. And he, he says, before he goes to the cross, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. So Jesus is going to be glorified, right? Playing on all these kind of passages of glory that we've talked about. Now remember this. The physical, the glory of God is the physical manifestations of God's character. They're physical manifestations in the Old Testament that help us realize that God is close and he wants to reveal his character. They reveal the weight and the substance of God. And here's the thing. The way that Jesus will be glorified, the way that God will ultimately reveal his glory. The way that the substance and the weightiness of the character of God will be revealed to all mankind 
is when Jesus is lifted up on a cross. A Jewish man hanging on a cross for the sins of the world. This is the glory of God. Because in it, we see revealed the character and nature of who this God is. Love. Selfless, self-emptying love. Greater love has no man than this than to give his life for his friends. This is the glory of God. And the gospel writers are telling us that all these incredible pictures that we see through the Old Testament where man's hardly able to speak so much consumed as he of the awesomeness of the moment that God will fulfill and reveal his glory in and through a person. And you know when that happened? When that happened, if, if you know the story, there was a curtain in a temple where the Holy of Holies was. And that temple was ripped in two from top to bottom so that you and me could see the glory of God. And we all with unveiled faces can be Unveiled faces. Unveiled faces. Nothing else has to be in between. We can look on Jesus because he has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He becomes a substitute, the King, the Messiah. And he will let evil do its worst on him. And he'll overcome it all with love. So that then he can invite you and me right up to look on his glory. Kind of leaves us speechless, doesn't it? When we think of the goodness of who God is and the way God reveals his glory. And we could quickly reference Revelation. We could tie it all up at the very end in Revelation 4 and 5 when we see all of heaven, all this angelic activity again kicking off. The whole earth is full of the glory of God. Blessing and glory and honor belongs. But who is the one worthy to open the scroll? What do they find in the midst of all of this kicking off? A lamb slaughtered for the sins of the world. This is the glory of God. And when we come into his presence, we're not here just to sing songs, people. In singing our songs and raising our voices, we get something of the glimpse of who God is. But as we do that, God's weighty presence comes upon us. We're changed and transformed by his glory (laughs) into his likeness. We get to taste and see that he is good. And I haven't got time to unpack this the way I'd like, but I just want to say at the end, all of these people, Moses, they all had a context. Moses, a bunch of slaves who didn't know who they were. Ezekiel, a time when the people were in exile. Isaiah, a time when one of the kings died. We have a context. And the context is pretty desperate. This town this nation, this world in which we live in today, it's pretty desperate. It's pretty scary out there at the moment. It's not nice what people do to one another and say to one another. It's not nice the way the church has got drawn into that. And God needs a people who will contend for his glory and in tasting his glory, taste something new of who he is become more shaped and transformed into his image and by his likeness. And in doing that, receive his presence afresh in our lives. And 
and, and, and open up a town and a city to the fresh revelation of who God is. When we get the fresh revelation, they get it. This, this is for that. Yeah, This in here is for that out there. We get the revelation of his glory. He comes to us afresh and we see him in the way that he longs for us to see him. We get changed, transformed. And they get hope. Yeah? Because hope starts to spill over. Why don't we close our eyes? We're, we're out of time, but I, I just love us to respond this morning by taking communion. So, we Dossie, you'd come up and, and Caroline. just in these moments as we respond to Jesus and as we <clears throat> partake of communion I just want you to think of how the glory of God the nature the nature and character of God is revealed to us afresh through these very normal natural symbols of bread in a cup and how they reveal to us the beauty of who God really is and that we'd hold in that act an understanding that we are transformed from glory to glory and so tonight today sorry there's another opportunity for us to taste of God's glory. And so just in these moments in silence, just we're going to um, have communion. There's going to be two um, tables at the front and two tables at the back. Um, and we're going to set those tables out. And um, what I'd love us to do just as, as Dossie leads us in a song here, I'd love us just as we're ready just to come and partake of communion. If if you know the Lord Jesus, you're really welcome to come and take of communion with us. The Bible tells us to examine our hearts and then to come. And in these moments, as we just look inside our hearts, and as Chris prayed that prayer earlier about searching and knowing, I, I want you to hear and sense the invitation of the Lord. And, and if you've been aware from Jesus or, or maybe never fully put your trust in Jesus, or you, you know, there's an invitation for you this morning. You know, there's not a barrier that's closing you. Any, any barrier that there is, is is one that we've put up. And, uh, and what we've heard this morning is that through the blood of Jesus, that, that wall can come down. And so just, just whenever you're ready, please make your way. Just uh, take of the bread, take of the cup, go back to your seat. Maybe you want to take it back to your seat and just take a moment with Jesus on your own. And then we'll stand and sing and we'll be finished. But let's just, let's just try and lean in in this moment. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your body broken, your blood shed. And we ask that even as we partake of these albums this morning, that you'd show us your glory all over again. In Jesus' name, amen.